Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Amen. Please tell me if you are familiar with this scenario. It is Sabbath morning, and he is trying to have his cereal, and he is trying to spend some time with Jesus. It is quickly interrupted by his son who comes into the living room and interrupts him as he's trying to spend time with the Lord, getting that spiritual food as well as that physical food. And as he's doing so, he realizes now he's got to try and help get his son ready for worship. And wife, we're not quite sure what she's doing, and so we're just busy trying to get everything together, feed him some food, get his clothes ready. Honey, what is she doing? I think she may be taking her shower. I'm not quite sure. And then finally we realize the time is ticking when we need to hurry up and get to worship. We need to leave at a particular time. And so that time is getting closer and the eyes are starting to kind of out of the side eye is starting to get, you know, exchanged between each other. And the, the, the child does something that you've got to clean up at the last minute. And then you begin to go to the door. And as you get to the door, you realize, wait a minute, I think she is still in there doing something. What could she possibly be doing? I have no idea. She's over there doing whatever she's doing, wondering why doesn't he recognize that this needs to be done? And then finally you get to the car. And you get to the car and there is this awkward silence that is there, but you do a short hurry up prayer because you're late and you need to get to worship. You're in the car. There is this awkward silence. You may exchange a few words, but when you finally pull up to the parking lot and you get there, you get out the car and you're immediately greeted with smiles, hugs, and a happy Sabbath. Yet underneath it, you realize that there is some frustration. Is there not? Because you had to hurry up and get your family to worship. You see, I'm talking about a scenario, and please believe me, my wife and I are completely head over heels in love. Matter of fact, we've got in two weeks our anniversary coming up that we're about to celebrate, and I got a few surprises for her. But I want to tell you, that scenario is one that we're not immune to as a pastoral family. As a matter of fact, we've experienced it several times coming to worship with you wonderful people. But I know it's not just us that have experienced that. Amen? Amen. On the way to worship God. You see, you may look at me and you may say, well, you know, CJ, that scenario. Yes, okay. That, that's just a very small, insignificant issue, a little small window into maybe a little bit of brokenness that may happen from time to time in marriages. However, what happens with us, if it's not properly dealt with, as we'll talk about today, is that small issue, that small bit of brokenness begins to pile up and pile up until it becomes a mountain of brokenness in a marriage that can leave you as a married couple, as a spouse, going, God, it's broken. Can our marriage be restored? For some of us, 
as we were maybe even trying to sing this song today. Maybe you sat in silence and it may be appropriate today a few times to not look to your right or to your left. Keep your eyes fixed, hopefully first on Jesus, but on the message today. You may not want to look to your right or your left, but I want to tell you today that for us to understand, we're going to have to get to the bad news before we get to the good news. But for us to understand what's going on when it comes to brokenness in marriages and in families, we've got to take the trip back. We've got to go all the way back to the first marriage that was broken. Come with me to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. So you've got to understand that God, at the very outset of creation, had just come off the heels of eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in a covenant faithful love that was defined by themselves because 1 John 4, 8 says that God is what? Love. And so out of this heart of love, they decided to create a universe that could reciprocate, experience that other-centered love that is characterized by the Godhead. And so the crowning act of this creation is the family is marriage, is Adam and Eve, both made in the image of God, not one or the other. Together, you need them together to reflect the oneness, watch this, the unity and equality that is in the Godhead. I want to just throw this in parenthetically. Sometimes as husbands, we want to say, hey, you know, you need to submit. What's going on? But I want to ask you a question, even though I know it's there in the Bible as the husband's being the head, I want to ask you a question. All the ideals of diet, all the ideals of marital relationships, all the ideals, period, are in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It's not until the reality of sin that God says your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you, which, by the way, was, pre was, was descriptive, not prescriptive. So, so it, lets you, it hints that there was a different setup before. Just think about it for a second. If they're reflecting the one, there is no hierarchy in the Trinity, is there? Oh no, co-eternal, all from eternity past. They're reflecting the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he made them, Adam and Eve, in their image. Just want you to think about it. And so here they are on the, on the dawn of human history. They now have entered into the brokenness that was started by Satan's rebellion in heaven, it is now brought to the planet Earth. Adam and Eve, they by deception. See, we're brought into sin because we are deceived into believing a lie about the character of God. That he cannot satisfy. That he is holding something back from us. So therefore, we got to get on the throne of, 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 of being God and we need to make decisions for our own lives. That's what the root of sin is in our lives. And that's what the devil deceived them into doing because that's what he did. And now God comes as he always did in the cool of the evening. It's very romantic in description. It's, it's this beautiful picture of God. Not coming as Godzilla ready to strike lightning bolts on Adam and Eve. No, he is coming now as he always did. Adam, where are you? You can extend that humanity. Adam means mankind. Adam and Eve, where are you? This is our regular appointment. And instead of coming out and welcoming God, they begin to hide. See, God is looking for them, just like when you see your child, right, parents? You see your child, you, you said, don't, get, don't put your hand in the cookie jar. But, but, but they did put their hand in there, they took a few cookies, and they've got the evidence all over their mouths, and you know what they did. But you come to them and you ask them, what were you doing? You know what they did. 
But what are, you, what are you wanting them to do in that moment? You want them to confess. You see, God's no different than an earthly parent. As a matter of fact, his love is more intense than an earthly parent. So just think about it. He's coming. Oh, I just wish that they would, because if they confess, I can just give them grace. Let's follow the story. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Beginning in verse actually 11, the Bible says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? When he's speaking to Adam here, he says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then Adam now, he responds. Listen very closely to what Adam says. And then Eve, starting in verse 12, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, the Lord have mercy, she gave me, of the tree and I ate. Okay, let's go on to, let's go on to Eve, verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, oh, it's the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Here we see the beginnings of brokenness. Not just in humanity, let's get more specific, in marriage. Right there. All the dynamics that plays out over and over and over again in our homes start, starts right there. Starts right there. You see, what took place there, through their exchange with God, was a breaking of relationship. Follow me, family. A breaking of relationship this way and this way. You see, with God and with themselves. And here's what I want to share with you. A broken relationship with God leads to a broken marriage. Okay? A broken relationship with God. We could think of it maybe on the macro level at the large, you know, maybe someone does not have a relationship with God, and so therefore it's natural out of our brokenness we engage with our spouse, Right? But let's, let's bring it home to some of us that are followers of Jesus. Remember, they, this was all happening. My, my, even my story a little bit earlier was in the context of us going to worship. Going to worship God. So we're talking about families that are, that are families of faith. And even in those scenarios, when there is brokenness, and when there's a, a miscommunication, when there is a tension, it's because somewhere we let go of God. Somewhere along the way, there, there, there was some, we, we, we let go of him and we decided to take the throne. That's what happened. If you've ever seen this film, Fireproof, I hear that we have seen it here already. Uh, but, but I'm looking forward to us, uh, Hint Hint Family Life, I think I've shared this with them already, that we would love to invite some couples to watch this again, because there's something that happens here in this film that's so significant. There's a lot of issues that are happening between Kirk Cameron's character and his wife, a uh, Christian-based film, and, and, and there's a lot of things that come out. There's, there's, there's accusations, and there is, uh, there is addictions that are going on, and then there's this neglect, and, and then there's this build-up. And then if you see there in the picture here, it all builds up to this one place it was there on the, on the screen. It all builds up to this one place where it's this heated exchange. And it's basically like, look, are you, if you're done, then fine, be done. They're ready to walk out, right? And what it's communicating there, if you follow the storyline of the film, is that he did not have a heart that was surrendered. His parents 
were followers of Jesus, but they didn't start out that way. And so he, going by default by how he was raised, he was just operating out of his brokenness, didn't have a relationship with God, didn't think he needed a relationship with God, and was trying to make this marriage thing work in his own strength, and it was not working. All the way into the point where they're ready to walk away. It almost starts out like a separation, and it starts to go towards a divorce. And so what's happening here? What's happening here? What's happening in this text? What is God trying to show us today here in the first broken marriage relationship? Number one, what you saw there in verse 12 with Adam, which blows me away, because if you read before, towards the end of Genesis 2, Adam is saying very romantic things like, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Oh, she is my rib. Yes, I will do anything for this woman. As a matter of fact, when she, when, 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 when the whole scenario of the fall takes place, here's in essence what's happening. Instead of saying, God, you are all in all. I trust you. Make me another one. Forgive her. Redeem her. I, I'm going to stay with you. No, what he's saying is, Eve, I'm putting you on the God throne. And I'm deciding to go and be lost with you. I, if I can't be saved with you, I'll just be lost with you. But once God comes to them now, Here's what's happening. The same one he was willing to be lost with, he throws under the bus. Oh, well, what happened? What, 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 what happened, husbands? What? When did we get to the place where, oh, no, 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 no. It's the wife's fault. It's Eve's fault. That God, see, it's that woman you gave me. It's that woman you gave me. See, this is the Adam kind of response that happens in marriages sometimes. Come on, we're all, if you are married here, you may not, you may not even be married, but it's happened in other relationships, right? You, you don't take any kind of responsibility. No, 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 no. It's that woman that you gave to be with me, he says. And thank God he even has the wherewithal to actually acknowledge that God gave him to her, to him, right? So, so, so God, it's, it's that wife you gave me that for some reason she just can't get it together and be ready on Sabbath morning. Hey, we're trying to go worship you, God. I mean, what, she, what is she doing in there? And then there's the Eve response, right? We saw that, right? Verse 13, this is the, oh, it's the devil. He made me do it. Right? Oh, the devil made me do it. God, why, why, why did you have to create the devil? Why did you have to even allow that temptation to come my way? Uh, what, you could have stopped it, Lord. It's the devil's fault. Actually, you know what I'm saying? Both of them looking up to God. Really, God, this whole mess is your fault. You brought us together. You allowed the temptations to come. You allowed the hardships to come that put us in that tense situation while we're having this exchange in the first place. God, this is your fault. That's what they're saying. In not so many words. And here's the problem, family. You see, when God, when God brought Adam and Eve together, by the way, I want to throw this in here. God made Adam first, right? And when he did that, Adam was complete. Oh, please hear this, family. Adam was complete in God. He was not seeking for another person to make him complete. That's the world, family. That's Greek philosophy. The whole soulmate thing, right? The, 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 I need this person to make me happy. To make me complete. You're setting yourself up for repeated disappointment. God is who makes you complete. God then takes Adam's rib, puts him to sleep. 
he forms and he builds this most beautiful work of art called Eve, right? And when he does this, the first face that she sees is who, Adam? It's God. What's, 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 the, what's the scripture whispering to us there? She is complete in God. You see, God brought two complete people together. They are not brought together to, to complete the other. They're brought together to complement the other. Did you catch that? They're complete, they're whole in Christ. And God takes two complete people and he puts them together. But here's what's happening when the, when the issue starts happening after the fall, right? God wanted to come and give them grace. Just confess, folks. Did they confess? No, they did not. Here's what they did. They did not want to take personal responsibility for what they contributed to the brokenness. Oh, God, oh, if Deidre, and believe me, I, I love my wife. We talked about this, by the way. She gave me permission, okay? <laughs> if she would just get ready a little, if she would just get up a little earlier, we could get here. We're the pastoral family. What kind of example are we setting for the, fam- the church of God and the young people to see? That we're supposed to be there at this time. And she's going probably in her mind, which I'm pretty sure I've, I've heard, we've talked about this, if he only understood how difficult it is to get this little boy together on Sabbath morning. For some reason, on Sabbath morning, he doesn't want to eat everything that I give him. He wants to throw it on the ground. Maybe if I got a little bit of help from the pastor, maybe we could get to church on time. Right? Nobody wants to take personal responsibility. No one wants to say, I should have set more of an example when I got up to just, just wake her up at the time that I got up. I like to get up at six. And, you know, no, no, no one wants to take responsibility. You know, if we had just communicated a little bit, hi baby, if we had just communicated a little bit better the night before. Nobody wants to take responsibility. God, it's that woman that you gave me. Thank God he gave me, Deidre. It's that husband that you gave me. Right? This is what's going on here. This is what's happening with us. Nobody, it's the other person's fault. I was right. Which, by the way, you can be wrong and right in how you respond. And this is the problem that we have. We've been repeating the problem of Adam and Eve from the beginning. God in his mercy. God in his mercy as he's going down from Adam and he questions him, he questions Eve. And then he gets to the serpent, and he does not question him. We're going to get there. I don't want to go ahead of myself. And so, can you imagine the conversation as they left the presence of God, and they were eventually, of course, evicted from their Eden home in paradise? Can you imagine the type of conversation that took place? Oh, I thought you said bone of my bone. I thought I was your rib, Adam. You just threw me under the bus right in front of God, right? Like in worship, right? You just, just threw me under the bus, right? Oh, but you you talking about me. But you just say it was the devil's fault. You didn't want to take no. Can you imagine? See, we think that they were just that one moment is when they had some issues, right? Like we think we're just isolated to that, right? That, that, that the issues that we're having, the things that cycle through in our lives and in our marriages and in our relationships, is just unique to our time and generation, right? It's accelerated over the generations, right? 
Oh, no, 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 no. They are the, they're the pattern. This is where we all got it from, right? So you can just imagine the kind of conversations, the tensions, the frustrations, the resentments that were going on in that first household. And guess what? It produced something. It produced something, family. Go with me. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I did say we had to get through the bad news before we got to the really, really good news. So let's just quickly go to some more bad news. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now Adam knew Eve. That knew meant that they, and we should be able to say this word in church, family. God gave it to us. They had sex. They knew each other biblically. They were intimate with one another. It was a gift of God. It was holy, especially before the fall. If we don't talk about it here, we're going to learn about it in a different way, and that causes a whole lot of problems. That's another sermon. All right. Adam knew his Eve, his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, watch, watch what she says here, because, you know, I've been fortunate to go to seminary and learn a few Greek words here and there, okay? So just pay attention to this. She says this. Listen, when she had Cain, okay, she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Did you hear that? I've acquired a man from the Lord. You know what she says? You know, you know what it sounds like in the original? Remember, and I may be getting just a little bit ahead of myself here, but, but there was in Genesis 3.15 a pronouncement that the Christ would come and crush the head of the serpent, right? Salvation, okay. And so here now she understands the Messiah is coming through the seed of the woman. And so what she's actually saying here is, I have received a man, the Lord. In the Hebrew, it's, I have received a man, the Lord. She was expecting that this was Messiah. The, 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 the setup for who she was anticipating her first son to be, and you read it, many scholars talk about this, that, that every successive generation was looking forward to, oh, could this be, especially when it came to the children that came from the line of Abraham, in, in, in your seed, Abraham, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Could this be the Messiah? The one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. I have acquired a man from the Lord. I have acquired a man, the Lord. Verse 2. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass. Everyone say, it came to pass. Everyone say, it came to pass. Came to pass. Thank you. Just making sure you all awake. Here we go. It came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, of the firstborn of his flock. And their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very, here's the word, angry. And his countenance fell. Skip down to verse 8. Then Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And killed him. I want to I point out a few things here. I want you to understand what just took place in what we read, because it's so relevant for us as followers of Jesus that come to worship. Did you understand that when Cain 
went and offered up his fruit. And Abel went and offered up his flock that they both understood what worship and what was supposed to happen. They understood that. We're about to see in a minute that they both understood it was a blood sacrifice. It was pointing forward to the coming Christ, a substitutionary atonement. So they both understood what was required. It's not God being arbitrary. I just kind of like Abel. I kind of like, you know, the second born. I don't really like the first born, right? That's not what's happening here. They both understand what's supposed to go down. And one decides, I'm going to give the Lord in faith and in surrender what he desires. And the other one says, I'm just... You know, I worked really hard for this fruit. I worked really hard for this fruit. So I'm just going to give him the best effort of what I did. And he should just bless it. And God, he respects Abel's offering. And he does not respect Cain's. I want you to understand something else. This, this happens in the context of worship. Don't miss that. All of this is happening in the context of worship. No doubt, they learned to bring this sacrifice from their parents, which we'll see in a moment. And so they are in the context still of a relationship with Yahweh. They're still trying to go through the motions. One, going through the motions. One, a sincere, genuine experience. And here it is. What's revealed here is, is that Cain is still harboring some kind of bitterness, some kind of anger, some kind of frustration. Obviously, to, to, to Abel, right? He kills him, right? Right? The outward manifestation of something that took place in here long time before that just kind of welled up. And then, obviously, he's not too happy with God. He, he did the sacrifice and how he went about it reveals a whole lot about how he relates to God. But if you, if you read, uh, uh, the text a little bit closer, particularly in Genesis 3, and then you compare that with some of what is brought out in Patriarchs and Prophets, here's what you kind of put together. You see, as they were kicked out of their Eden home only because God didn't want to, to make sin uh, perpetuate by them eating of the tree of life. So they're kicked out. And so someone's not too happy about that. No doubt they went and they worshipped. Probably it wasn't, it wasn't until the flood that they didn't have access to going to the garden and actually seeing it. That's why an angel was there to keep them out because they still could go. They could see where they could be, and they're not there. So is there possibly some resentment still swimming around somewhere? Could it be that Cain didn't just all of a sudden wake up in the morning and say, you know, I just feel really just bitter about this whole thing. I mean, I go over there, man, some of that fruit over there in the garden looks pretty nice. Or could it be that that conversation we were talking about with Adam and Eve, you mean just threw me under the bus and you just went and blamed the devil? You didn't take no responsibility? Could it be that there was something brewing in the home? I want to tell you, a broken marriage leads to broken children. A broken marriage leads to broken children. Family, the children are watching. You know, I, I, I remember, my, well, actually, my son. We're discovering my son is just glued to devices, right? The iPad, you know? We even have one specific one that's kind of like an old, like, second-generation iPad. So we kind of removed most things and just put kids' stuff on there and Bible stuff on there and things that are, you know, good for his development. You know, they say that you interact with certain things you can learn to read and all that. Anyway, I'm sounding techie right now. But anyway, 
We find that when we remove that from him, he just starts fussing and gets all upset. And, and if we give him a book, he gets a little, you know, fussy about that too, because praise God, he likes books. But when we give him the iPad and then we take that away, because we give him a limit, we say no more than 15 minutes, we take that away, he's really upset. And my wife and I are looking at each other and we're going, where did he get that? Why is he just so attached to this device? He just, like he's born with it, you know, just, and he's swiping and he knows what app to go to. And he sometimes FaceTimes my mom. Where did he get that? He got it from us, family. We are on our devices. We've talked about this way too much. We need to just spend more time being present with one another. But sometimes because I'm busy and I got to respond to that email. And hey, really, CJ, we're out. We're buying some groceries. You got to be on your phone right now. He gets it from us. You know, it, it, there's some things that I, you know, I've been very transparent with you, family. My, my, my parents, unfortunately, when I was about 13, got divorced and eventually remarried my mother. And you guys have seen them here. God is blessed. Okay. But there was a really rocky time. And, and, and I remember as I was kind of, you know, going through teenage years and got to the young adult years that I couldn't even, when I met, thank God for God sending me my wife, I couldn't even when I was talking with her, because we just were very open. We talked about what I, at the time, I could only say the M. I couldn't even say the word. Marriage. Because of what I witnessed growing up. She witnessed a very loving family. Uh, unfortunately, her mother passed away in 2004. Beautiful woman. But up until she passed, beautiful marriage relationship between her husband, between her father and her mother. And so she grew up and she, oh yeah, which, well, I mean, if we, this should be leading that way anyway. Marriage, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, the, the, the M. You know, because of what I witnessed, you see, what I saw. You see, the children are watching family. In the context of them going to worship God, one recognizes he needs to bring a substitute that represents Jesus, right? He got that not only from his parents, but really ultimately, as we're about to see, from God himself. The other one decides, no, I'm just going to come and bring that which, sim that which symbolizes his own works, his, his own righteousness, right? The thing that he did without giving the thing that God requires, that God is the one that's providing the atonement. He decides, I'm going to come and bring my best. I know it's not what God said, but I'm just going to bring what I did. Why? Because he was in an environment in his house where there was still lingering resentment and it eventually got directed to his brother. Because God accepted his brother's sacrifice. You see, remember, Abel was a keeper of flocks. He had sheep. Cain, the oldest, had the ground. He took care of, you know, he was a tiller of the ground and he had, you know, harvested fruit, right? How humbling would it have been for Cain, who's kind of maybe harboring some resentment towards God, maybe even his parents for losing that beautiful abode that they were in and have to go to his little brother and say, hey, can I please get one of your lambs so that I can go and offer an acceptable... Obviously, he accepts yours. Can you see what's transpiring here in the mind of Cain? And then when God goes, prior to him killing Abel, when God goes to question him, oh my, the picture of God that we see there. Before it even happens, he says, look, don't let sin get control over you. Don't do this, Cain. I know what's going on inside of you. I know the bitterness. I know what you, how you feel towards me. And both before and then when he confronts him after and the response from, from Cain is, hey, am I my brother's keeper? Where did he get, where did he get 
that not wanting to take personal responsibility for how he contributed to the problem. Where did he get that, family? You, you can talk back to me. He, he got it from Adam and Eve. You see, the children are watching, family. They see what's going on. But I told you, we had to get through the bad news because we really have to rush, 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 rush. We need to run to the good news. Amen? And here's the good news, family. Go with me now. Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Remember, God, he is questioning Adam and then he questions Eve, but he does not question the devil taking possession of the serpent. He doesn't question him. He immediately begins to pronounce judgment on the devil. And here is this, here is this message of judgment, but wrapped up in it is such wonderful good news. Wonderful good news. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. This is what he's saying. He's speaking to, the, he's speaking to Satan. But watch this, he's also speaking to Adam and Eve. He says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall, it's becoming, the seed is now personal, it's personified. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then to confirm the message that he just gave there in verse 15, go with me really quickly down to verse 21. Is it 21? 21, I believe. Ooh, pray for the pastor. Yes, verse 21. Run down to verse 21. Now to confirm, confirm what he just pronounced. He does this. It says also, verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord had made tunics of what? Skin. And he did what? He clothed them. What's happening here is the first pronouncement of judgment on the devil that ultimately Christ would come through the descendants of Eve. He would crush his head, which is a decisive blow. He would not get the devil is not getting away with this. But at the same time, the Christ would his heel would be bruised. He would be wounded for our transgressions, right? He would be crushed in the process. This is the first gospel proclamation in the Bible. This is the first covenantal promise given to humanity. God says you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Christ is coming. He's going to fix this mess. Devil, you have not gotten away with this with my children. And here is the good news, family. The good news is this. Jesus restores broken families by his grace. He restores broken families by his grace. I'm going to say it again. He restores broken families by his grace. He specializes in making things that were broken whole and he heals them and he knows how to fix it. Notice the first thing, the first solution after he gives judgment to the devil, the first solution is I'm going to fix it. And then to confirm that he's going to fix it, oh no, you don't, those fig leaves, that stuff that you try to do to cover yourself, no, 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 no. I need to clothe you with my righteousness. Notice he clothes both of them. He doesn't clothe, clothe Eve because, oh, Eve ate the fruit first. You know, like we like to make that debate and all that kind of stuff. Oh, Eve. And then those that went aside with, oh, no, 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 no. It was Adam. See, Adam sealed the deal. He shouldn't have done. No. God said, no, you all both messed up and you didn't take responsibility. So here, you need my righteousness. See, the skins was the first sacrificial offering. 
And if you want to say, oh, God did it, or you want to say, well, he had Adam do it, and then he took the skin and he clothed him. Either way, it represented Jesus and his righteousness, and it was the beginning of that sacrificial system that we see continuously throughout the Old Testament leading up to the cross. You see, if you're going to receive the righteousness of Christ, if you're going to receive the grace of Jesus Christ, you both have to come to the cross. You can't have a disposition. That person needs to go to the cross. They're wrong. I was right. I mean, look, I was trying to get us to church on time. If there's anybody that needs to repent, look, this is about Christ first. Right? So she needs to go to the cross, not me. Oh, no, 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 no. He needs to go to the cross because he didn't recognize. See, family comes before church ministry. And so he needed to help me out. And so he needs to go to the cross. No, we both have to come to the cross and receive the clothing, the grace, the righteousness that comes only through Jesus. That pardons and also gives power to restore, to heal, to transform. It only comes through Jesus Christ. You see, you can't receive the forgiveness and the grace of Christ and not give it to somebody else. Or you have not truly experienced it. I'm going to say it again. You cannot fully experience the grace and the forgiveness and the transforming love of Christ unless you're able, to, unless you're willing to give it away to those that have hurt you. Now, I understand. Look, I understand. I, I get it. There are situations of abuse and there's situations of adultery where there may need to be a whole lot more that needs to be done. And I'm going to provide a resource in a moment that, 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 that deals with that as you take the journey to wholeness. I get it. You may not trust that person right away, but you certainly can forgive. Who here does not need the grace and the forgiveness of God? Look, I may not have gone out and cheated. I may not have gone out and hit. But definitely I am standing, if it's not for Jesus Christ, I deserve the punishment of hell. And I don't have a right to look at anybody, including my spouse, and say, no, that person needs to go to the cross. I'm right with God. I can give him my fruit. No, we both need to go to the cross, family. Maybe I responded in, uh, maybe I responded, though I may have felt right in my position, I may have responded in a way that was not full of grace and compassion or understanding. I need to own that which contributed to the problem and say, Jesus, we, we, no, 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 no. It wasn't my wife made me late. It wasn't I didn't help her out. If anyone asks, no, we did not make it to church together on time. We're a unit. You see, we're reflecting the, the unity, the equality, and the oneness, and the love of the Godhead. We did not make it to church on time. Did, did, are, are you hearing what I'm saying, family? We are growing in this area. I want to provide you a resource, family. See, the turning point in the movie Fireproof was when Caleb finally came to the cross. And he realized that he could not love his wife until he had come to the cross. I'm telling you, I don't have, I've said this before, I, I don't have the ability, I don't have it in me to consistently love my wife. I don't. I, I, I don't. I know we like to make it all flowery. Love conquers all. Oh, we can, we'll get through all that. We just need to get married and we'll be good. Love conquers all. Well, guess what? Unless you've got the love of Christ flowing in and through you, you do not have what it takes to make it work. It is just a contract at that point. No, it is a covenant. till death do us part. And you can only receive that type of love when you receive the covenantal faithfulness and love of God revealed in Christ at the cross. It is only when Caleb comes to the cross that the turnaround in the movie starts to take place. 
and it ultimately leads to their marriage being healed and restored. I want to offer you a resource. It's in your bulletin, and it is also something that you can write down right now. It is couples checkup. Couples checkup. This today is just a catalyst to an ongoing process and journey that we're going to go on, particularly through facilitated through our amazing family life ministry. But today, if you are a couple here today and you say, you know what? We have not arrived, and neither have I, but we want to go ahead and kind of see where we are, where, we, where we're doing well and where we can grow, where we need some more grace, where we need some more tools. Please go there. Couples Checkup. It is an amazing resource. Both my wife and I, with that company, Prepare and Rich, have been certified to do this assessment and so forth. So feel free to go there, and then there's going to be some next steps that you're going to hear in, the, in your announcements and from our family life and through email and so forth, you'll hear those next steps that are going to follow in the process. We want to give you a helpful tool, but I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how much tools you get. It also doesn't matter how much of counseling you may get. It doesn't matter what, all those wonderful things that God gives us, right? If you don't come to the cross. If you don't come. See, we are both physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. All three or four need to be healthy. If I only put a band-aid on the mental and slash emotional, and if I only get well physically, but I don't deal with the spiritual, I am still unhealthy. And will likely go back into the same patterns. We're whole beings. More and more science is beginning to recognize this. And so we need to be spiritually whole so that we can then become mentally, emotionally whole, and of course physically I want to invite you today, if this is you, if you say today, I want to be made whole. Look, you may be a, a couple, you're doing really, really well, and I need to sit at your feet and just get my notepad and start jotting down all the things that I need to do to be successful in marriage. Well, look, I invite you to stand because you can be a mentor to somebody else who is maybe needing some growth, needing some mentorship to help them get through marriage. I want to invite the praise team to come up at this time. Also, if you are saying to yourself, you know what, I recognize I'm not going to do this kind of like, you know, I don't need any help. If you say, I want to grow, they may be here, they may not be here, but you say, I want to stand in the presence of God today. You see, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were going to worship. Cain and Abel were going to worship. And the brokenness was still there. You say, hey, I need help, Jesus. Please, at the cross I come today, as we sing this closing song, he is a wonderful and he is a merciful Savior. If you want to stand today, you may say, hey, I'm not married, but I am broken. And I need Christ. I invite you to stand as well. As we sing about this wonderful, this merciful Savior, apparently nobody needs Christ. If you want to stand today and say that I am broken and in need of Jesus, and I need him to make me whole. Heaven records it. I want to tell you this. Jesus said that Elijah did not come just not only speaking about Elijah, John the Baptist, right? At his time, who they killed, right? But he also said that Elijah would be to come, meaning he is speaking of his church right before he returns. You know what the message of John the Baptist was recorded in the last chapter of Malachi? It was a message of reconciliation. If we are going to be effective in ministry in these last days, then some reconciliation needs to take place in our midst. Some healing needs to take place in our midst. I know we're going to eat, but let's sing. 
to our wonderful, merciful Savior. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.